It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Hello, Gamecock fans. J.C. Sherbert here with you inside the Gamecocks podcast. It is Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. As this crazy year continues to roll on, happy to be with you here today. I think um, I've gotten great reviews um, since we kind of relaunched the podcast uh, on Friday of last week. Uh, The numbers have been good. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and listening to what I have to say about the Gamecocks uh, on a daily basis. I want to tell you that there's a lot of Gamecock podcasts out there, uh, and I've been going through them. uh, Because a lot of times, you know, when when you're kind of in this business, uh, I think a lot of times you get tunnel vision and you don't go and kind of see what else is out there. Uh, And I don't consider it competition. I think that uh, with podcasting specifically – you know, you, you don't really have competing radio shows unless they're in the same time slot. I think a lot of the Gamecock podcasts sort of fulfill different needs. And if I'm a Gamecock fan uh, and I don't have access to local sports talk radio that's worth a flip, which unless you're in Columbia, um, maybe Charleston, and obviously my guys JB and Goldwater that stream every single day give you a lot of Gamecock stuff, you know, it, it's tough. Um, you know, and, and I know as someone that grew up in the upstate of South Carolina in the 80s, uh, as a kid back when you had to listen to the radio, um, it was kind of Phil Corn Blute or Bust, early 2000s when I lived in Greenville. I mean, you know, if you're a Gamecock fan living up there at that time, all you're doing is getting ticked off <laughs> with a lot of stuff. Uh, you get bitten by a lot of the sarcasm from the pro Clemson folks up there. Uh, you know, it's not been easy. Uh, and for a state university like the University of South Carolina, uh, unfortunately, it's it's an unserved deal. So now we have podcasting, uh, and a lot of you have made the switch uh, and come on over. And, and I think that there's room for a lot of different varieties of Gamecock talk and obviously college football talk, too. I mean, I'll obviously recommend the J.C. and Morgan podcast with myself and Mike Morgan for just general college football. We do talk Gamecocks there sometimes, especially SEC, ACC type stuff. Uh, very good guests, uh, so check that out on iTunes. Um, you know, if, if you want to spend a little extra and get a daily in-depth show with a load of guests, uh, you could join up with Keith. I used to be a part of a lot on the Gamecocks podcast on Patreon. Patreon, uh, low price, pennies a day. Uh, you get to listen to what Keith has to bring to the table, and plus the people that go on with Keith, which is uh, really good from what I understand. Um, then there's some other stuff. You know, there's a young group. Uh, Tito's and chicken out there that uh, they send seem to be pretty consistent with podcasts. I know the Gamecock Central guys have podcasts. Um, you know, just about anywhere you want to look, you can find a Gamecock podcast. I've been kind of going through them all and uh, wanted to give some personal recommendations to some of those uh, that are out there because um, I know that with regards to South Carolina sports talk and really digging into it. You know, it's tough. Plus, with podcasting, if, you, if you're driving, you got to stop and go in and, you know, want to get up to coffee or a donut or whatever in the morning, or you got to get gas or got to run in the store. Uh, you can put this bad boy on pause and you won't miss a thing. You don't have to deal with commercials, uh, long, long things of commercials for the most part. Uh, and so I think that's a pretty positive deal. And so, anyway, I wanted to thank you guys and, and tell you, Gamecock fans out there, I appreciate you listening to mine. Go check out some of these other podcasts. 
um, and, you know, make the switch, spread the word. I don't think some people realize how easy it is uh, just to listen to podcasts. It's absolutely free. So some news around college football. Yesterday it became official. This has been in the works for a few days. Now, junior colleges are going to play football in the spring. Um, that's going to be really interesting in terms of recruiting junior college players and eligibility and things like that. Uh, I think it's kind of one of those things that maybe you're going to have some guys that you know forego that spring season and go straight on into their major college programs. Um, if they're eligible academically. Uh, and so they're going to lose some guys there. But then there's also next spring, uh, when you're talking about the 2022 class of junior college players, there's going to be some guys that pop up, you know, that, that kind of blow up in the spring, uh, closer to eligibility and all that. So it, it's going to be kind of fascinating to watch. You know, of course, if their college season is in the spring, there's really no difference. Um, but I thought that was an interesting move. I can't wrap my head around right now sort of what, you know, as far as eligibility clocks and things like that, sort of what, how that's going to play out. I mean, uh, and I think I'm thinking specifically about Marcellus Dial, who's committed to the Gamecocks. You know, he's got an enrollment target of, um, you know, fall of 2021. Is he going to go play the junior college season? Is he going to come on and come to South Carolina early if he's able to? Will he redshirt this year at junior college, giving him more eligibility? Um, it's a fascinating thing. I think from an evaluation standpoint, uh, as far as like we go in, in the media and the, the recruiting sports media or whatever, um, you know, we want to see more tape on it uh, at the junior college level. Didn't play a whole lot last year. Um, obviously, his tape from Woodruff High School is very impressive. Uh, the athleticism's there, the size is there, et cetera. Um, and so for him to get a higher rating, I would think that you would need to – he would need to play, but you know, you don't play for recruiting gradings. Um, you know, if you got a scholarship, that's it's kind of ridiculously dumb if that's the reason you're playing. Um, or or you know, you may play to get better. Who knows? I, I think that if you're South Carolina, you try to get him on campus as quickly as possible because you'd rather him start developing at your level and practicing at your level and getting, you know, involved in the academic side of it, you know, the training part of it you know, being a part of your program, being a, a power five college football player uh, rather than, and this is no offense to Georgia military um, and the uh, program they have there, but rather than him being at the JUCO level, that's just kind of common sense. So I think if he's able to, you know, he'll come on mid year. If not, will he redshirt? Will he play? Uh, I don't know. I, I'd probably still encourage him to redshirt. Um, and if I were him, I would redshirt. I would just – I don't know, that's two years probably away from football. But um, if you're planning on playing in 2021 at South Carolina, you know, you probably don't need that year of football. Now, now who knows? If, if Now, if, if the situation is that the entire college football season gets moved to the spring, which is something that could happen, then um, – I uh, I don't know how they'd work it, you know. <laughs> uh, I would think still, even at that, because you're going to have some guys coming out of a, a spring 2021 season that are injured, you know, you're going to kind of want to preserve health as much as possible and, and minimize risk for anybody uh, incoming or coming back for your roster. 
So I, I would think maybe that that would be a, an idea there too. But that, that's how it kind of impacts the Gamecocks, Marcellus Dial. They're, they're in on some other junior college players. Um, but until they commit to South Carolina or whatever, you know, that's just too, too many different scenarios to do. I mean, Tion Evans, who committed to Tennessee, I mean, is he going to – going to play at junior college this year. I mean, he's going to go on to Tennessee. Uh, and here's the other question, too, when you think about this. If they move the football season to spring for big colleges, and you do have – and there will be guys that depart, that, that just want to go straight on to the NFL. And I don't know that South Carolina will be immune to that um, depart type of a departure. Um, are they going to let mid-year JUCO and high school guys become eligible immediately? Uh, because in the spring they're eligible to practice. And these are all questions that the NCAA has to answer. I think the obvious answer will be, you know, given that there's going to be a lot of guys that leave, uh, yeah, anybody that can get in mid-year, you're eligible to go, uh, eligible to play in the spring season. Um, it's just like graduating high school early before your, your season starts. Uh, and then maybe give them an extra year uh, like they did in baseball. I mean, it's it's a global pandemic, so the, the, there's nothing that's ideal uh, about the situation college football's in, and so I think the NCAA is probably going to do what they normally don't do, uh, and that's um, you know be maximal maxim maximize flexibility. How about that? They, they're normally not that flexible, but uh, maximize flexibility, and they certainly. We're maximi- maximally – maximally is not a word, J.C. Um, they were bigly flexible with J.T. Daniels, uh, the quarterback that transferred into Georgia uh, from Southern Cal. He's immediately eligible. Uh, and th- this impacts the Gamecocks because it's Georgia. You know, Georgia's in the division. I uh, I-, I talked yesterday, I believe, about, you know, the the, the order of games um, in the uh, – in a potential, you know, conference-only schedule in the fall or spring, uh, you know, I, I had and Brandon Marcello from Twenty Four Seven Sports pointed this out, uh, and I think I posted it on the Big Spur. I anticipate what they would do, and I think this is what the Big Ten's working on: is division games will get played first because you're trying to get to a conference championship. That, that's that's a big money deal. Uh, the conference championship games need to be preserved. They pay out to all schools. Um, you know, just call it like it is. It's, it's about revenue. And so it's hard to get to a conference championship game if you're going through a season and a couple of games get canceled here or there. You don't have the flexibility to make it up. Uh, and then everybody in the division doesn't play everybody else. Um, you know, the ACC's even talking about going round robin within their divisions which I don't know how you throw Notre Dame into that and all that. But, uh, you know, so you could see Clemson play all the teams that they play from their division twice. You know, they could go to Tallahassee and play in Clemson, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how viable that is uh, to do it like that when you're talking about a seven-team division, though. I mean, that's they would get to 12 games, but that would be about it. And then what do you do with Notre Dame if you're the ACC? So – you know, looking at it from that standpoint, you know, I, I do think what you'll see is South Carolina play Georgia earlier. Um, and if you look at kind of how the schedules, the order of the schedule this year, really you just have to flip Georgia with Texas A&M um, because LSU is right there at the end. So A&M and LSU, in other words, and then if they play another West team would be at the end. 
uh, and they get all the East teams out of the way. And, and that's, that's like, because if you have a weekend that you just can't play, like half your teams have guys that have positive tests and you got to cancel that weekend, you know, you can still, you know, okay. So it would be like Missouri, South Carolina's Missouri game gets canceled or rescheduled. Well, at that point you say, all right, well, we'll just, instead of playing 10, we're going to play nine and we're going to bump Carolina and A&M and all the other cross divisions that weekend and, you know, reschedule it for, for then. So all the divisions will play each other. And you can even get by with as little as six games when you're talking about the division um, because that's, you know, everybody plays everybody. Then you go play a championship game and away you go. And don't ask me about how bowl eligibility would be impacted. Uh, if I do think there'll probably be some bowls because that's TV inventory and that's kind of what bowls are anyway these days. Um, I think the playoff will probably be expanded because, again, that's a lot of money. Um, but, you know, you kind of look at it and it's, you know, six-game season. Uh, hey, you know, you, you, if you get, if that's what it's got to be, that's what it's got to be. Um, and I actually think South Carolina, when you look at it, you know, let's say it is a six-game season against division opponents only, really the only team they would be – significant underdogs too, I think would be Georgia. I mean, you know, I know Florida, that game's down there. Of course, if you don't have fans in the stands, I don't know how intimidating the swamp is. And South Carolina's had them on the ropes the last two years. Uh, You know, I would say Florida would probably be favored seven to 10 points, uh, depending on what's going on. You know, South Carolina has Tennessee at home. Uh, They've got uh, Missouri at home and they go to Kentucky and Vandy. In, in the years like this, even-numbered years, you got Georgia, Tennessee, Missouri, and then if you play A&M, you got A&M at home, and that's your home SEC schedule. That's always more favorable than when you have to go to all those places, when you got to go Knoxville, College Station, and Athens in the same year. Uh, of course, the best year Will Muschamp ever had was 2017, and they went to Athens and College Station and Knoxville in the same year. Uh, so how much do I really know? I don't know. Uh, but it's always better to, to play, you know, when you, your road game's at Vandy, at Kentucky, and then the Gamecocks do play at Florida and then at LSU. So we'll see. But but a division-type situation, I think if the ball bounces the Gamecocks way, you know, there's there's a – you know, I, I would like their chances of going four and two and four, five and one within the division – you know, without having to play those West teams, you know, better than, you know, I would feel about contending for a division title if you played the cross-division opponents. I just think that within the SEC East, you know, again, do I believe Florida has edged ahead of South Carolina? Absolutely. You can't deny that. Mullen's 21-5. and He's won. He's 2-0 and against the Gamecocks. Two heartbreakers, but he's still 2-0. and Um and, uh, you know, they're right there. You know, Georgia, uh, I still think, is superior to South Carolina despite the fact they lost to the Gamecocks last year. But that game's in Columbia. Um, you know, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, you know, South Carolina's obviously should be competitive with those guys. And I think uh, in most years should beat Kentucky. And I know they've lost. <laughs> you don't have to point that out to me. Uh, most years, though, they should beat Kentucky, Vandy, Missouri. And then, you know, you got to beat Tennessee more times than you don't, uh, I think. You know, in terms of 
where the programs are right now. Now, could Tennessee continue its winning ways? Uh, could they continue to, to build their momentum uh, thanks to a six-game win streak from last year? Could they have a special year? Absolutely. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt's recruiting well. Um, I will caution, Butch Jones did too. Uh, I kind of like Pruitt's ideas and plans, especially on defense, a little better than Butch's. Um, and, and I kind of like their offensive plans too, because I, I think Jim Chaney is an underrated offensive coordinator. I don't care what Georgia people say. I mean, look at how Georgia's offense was called and executed and 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 all that when Chaney was dialing them up versus last year under under Foley. And then um, you know, you, you you have a new coordinator all of a sudden. So I, I think Chaney actually doesn't get a fair shake sometimes with his ability to call plays. And he certainly called a lot of good ones uh, against the Gamecocks over the years. So maybe that's maybe that's a Carolina bias coming out because I'm just kind of looking at that. But, you know, so if it isn't only a division season, you know, South Carolina could, could sneak up on some people. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's much more of a – it's less daunting of a task, uh, I think, when you're talking about just division games. But I've said that from the beginning. I mean, you know, when you talk about South Carolina as a program – you know, everybody wants to think, well, you know, it's the woe is me. Oh, God, you know, they're, they're awful. And they were awful record-wise last year. But when you're talking about a program, you know, all the excuses and the myths that you hear about the South Carolina program, uh, when you compare them to the SEC East, you know, and the, and the people that they have to beat, you know, every year in the SEC East, uh, it's a different ball game. You know, South Carolina is a – uh, a program that's set up to be a contender in that division. Um, you know, you, are you telling me Missouri, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt should have a better program than South Carolina? Uh, or Tennessee, which historically has, but, you know, for the past 12 or 13 years has, has been uh, 20 games under 500 in the league. South Carolina's 31 and 33 during that time period, by the way. Um you know, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I think Florida has a lot of natural advantages. I think Georgia has a lot of natural advantages. I think the rest of that division um, is there for the taking, and and I don't know that you know beating Florida and Georgia is, is completely out of the question. You know, uh, and you look at the two games last year. You know, you got a game where Georgia didn't play so well, and the Gamecocks played above their head, and they won. Uh, and then the next week, again, the Gamecocks have the Gators on the ropes uh, and get outcoached and outperformed in the fourth quarter. And, and yeah, I know the refs in that game were were bad. I mean, of, of all the Gamecock games I've seen over the years where you go, the refs are terrible, you know, that call on that long run ranks right up there with the, the Rod Gardner push-off in 2000. Uh, and then I believe it was 03. Dondreal Pinkins out there at Ole Miss. They called the safety. He was two yards outside of the end zone. Eli Manning tore the Gamecocks up that day. Gamecocks couldn't stop him. But Carolina's offense, for some reason, that day made a lot of big plays. Final score was 43-40 to 40, Ole Miss. But that was a terrible call. I mean, just an absolute disaster of a call. Um, you know, and you can go back to, you know, the NC State game in 1986 – where the the ref, the ACC ref threw the flag and Eric Kramer threw the winning touchdown and they avoided an upset loss to the Gamecocks in Raleigh. So, 
I, uh, I've seen, you know, over the years, there's always bad calls. I think that, you know, that, that call though has to rank up there with, with the worst, because, you know, at that point it's 17, 10 Carolina's grabbed momentum. Gators on defense are not stopping Tavian Feaster or Mon Denson in the Gamecocks running game. You know, they call that back. You know, that was kind of Florida's first big play of the day. You call that back, Trask isn't really doing much. You know, he's a little off. You know, you don't know if they're even going to score on that drive or answer. Carolina gets the ball back, you know, let's say they score a touchdown or even get a field goal and have a double-digit lead. You, you don't know that Florida's going to have the momentum to come back at that point. Now, I will say the Gators, under Dan Mullen specifically, and this is the opposite of kind of how they were uh, previously since their Urban Meyer era, you know, they're kind of a gritty team. You know, they, 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 they keep playing and keep playing, and they come back. I mean, many times, you know, the last few years, I thought they were beat. You know, last year against Miami and Kentucky, I thought they were beat. And they, they, they weren't beat. They, they came back and won Gamecocks game as well. So, you know, I I hats off to Mullen and, and what he's done at Florida and, and how gritty and tough to beat they are because, you know, that's just kind of something that you look at. You know, you, and you're not really used to using Florida and gritty in the same sentence. You know, Florida's made some comebacks over the years, but it's usually like, you know, Steve Spurrier, you know, kind of di- starts to dissect your defense and, you know, they may be down, you know, how, how much did Peyton Manning had them down 27 to three one day at the swamp and Florida won 62 to 37. <laughs> Spur kept dialing up ball plays, you know I mean? So that, that's kind of the, the Florida comebacks you think about, not the, oh God, we're down by 10 in the fourth quarter. Let's, you know, come down, drive down the field twice and win or, or whatever. But anyway, that's my point about the, uh, you know, the, the all division schedule is that, you know, it's much, much more manageable, you know, if you're the Gamecocks. And I'm not saying you should pull for six games to happen. I'd be disappointed if there were just six games. But from a competitive standpoint, obviously, you know, just like Major League Baseball is only playing 60 this year, well, the goal is still the same, get to the World Series. You know, well, the goal is still the same, get to Atlanta in the SEC championship game. Um, And, you know, I think that, not having to play A&M and LSU or Clemson, you know, could be helpful in that regard. I think that obviously it's going to make it really interesting if you take the, you know, who's playing who from the other division out of it. Um, I think it helps Tennessee to a certain extent because they play Alabama. I think there are other games against Arkansas, so maybe not. <laughs> Poor Tennessee, finally, you know, the, the advantage uh, of the of the West – <laughs> they finally get or in the, 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 the cycle where they get the advantageous draws from the West. Cause I mean, a couple of years ago, they played LSU and Bama, Auburn and Bama. I mean, cause they always play Bama. Um, so last year they had Mississippi state and they did win that one uh, in, um, in Knoxville. And I said yesterday, I thought the, the Tennessee's most impressive win was probably against Carolina. I think like the score and, and all three phases of the game, how the Vols played, probably it was an impressive win. But that Mississippi State win was big too. You know, Mississippi State was not great, but they were a bowl team. You know, they weren't chopped liver, uh, although they made a coaching change. And so uh, I think I think I think division play would make it really interesting. Uh, you know, Florida doesn't have to play LSU all of a sudden. Um, they do play the, an Ole Miss 
their game at Ole Miss, they're talking about that being kind of a, a trap game. I don't know about that. I don't know how good Ole Miss is going to be. Um, if you're Georgia, you know, you don't have to play Auburn and Alabama. <laughs> I'd take that if I were a Bulldog fan, you know. So, anyway, it's all in. I, and, look, I'm saying I don't want, I don't want a six-game season, but I'm just saying that, you know, when you get to something that's settled, when we finally decide all of this, uh, you know, the focus then has to become on navigating the season and, and winning because they're, they're still going to give a trophy out. I mean, uh, there may be an asterisk by whoever the champion is this year did not play a whole lot of games. And there will always be debate about it because, you know, that's college football. We debate things. But, um, you know, you still want to win. I mean, that's that's the bottom line and, and the name of the game. Greg Sankey yesterday depressed on fine bomb. I think there's a little show showmanship going on there. Um, and look in the Southeast, we are having problems with people wearing masks, uh, wear a mask. I mean, like, look, there's science that says it helps prevent the spread. There's some science that says it doesn't do a damn thing because of the size of the virus droplets and how masks are made just, just humor everybody and wear a mask. I mean, because, I mean, there, there's no harm in doing it of all the things about this virus that have been politicized. I think the mask thing is the silliest. I'm not blaming the president totally, but I think he should have been on board with it. Um, I think this whole mask thing should just be like fundamental. But, but I also blame some of the folks early on that were like, the mask doesn't, you don't have to go wear a mask. Um, I guess they were trying to protect the uh the frontline workers or, or the, the medical professionals. And so they would have enough mask or whatever. That's unfortunate. Um, but wear a mask, just do it. I mean, who knows if it'll make a difference or not, but just do it. Practice your social distancing. Um, don't go to bars where people are hanging all over each other. Try to find you a nice bar where you can sit outside. Um, and that type of thing, you know, uh, and as long as you do it in South Carolina before 11 o'clock, uh, I think that everybody's got to do their part to kind of help the numbers go down if you want to see college football. Now, you know, the the, the woke college football media, um, <laughs> they've already had these columns written. If you listen to Mike Morgan and I, J.C. and Morgan, they've already had these college football columns written. And, again, and I got criticized yesterday on TheBigSpur.com because I said I wasn't going to get political. They're like, you got political. First and foremost, I don't think that bias is a political issue. I don't think the fact that some of these guys that, that that don't live in the South, you know, are jealous of the South and despise the South and think we're all a bunch of bumpkins, um, you know, based on how a majority of the voters in a single state voted or, or really in some cases a slim majority or a slim plurality, Plurality, Ugh, tough word to say there. Um, you know, they judge the entire region. You know, I think a lot of it's to cover up the shortcomings of some of the places they live uh, and some of the, you know, issues with, with racism that have persisted in some of these places for all these years while they've turned their nose down at the South and people in the South are building, you know, great economies, good places to live, good schools low taxes, good jobs, all that kind of stuff. 
So I think there's some jealousy there. I don't consider that a political issue. I think that's cultural bias. I think that's uh, geographical bias. And bias to me is a moral issue. You know, so some of these folks that don't like the South, that, you know, want to sit there and, 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 and take the moral high ground and, and badger everybody. And look, there's no question about it. The case numbers are rising in the South. Um, but, you know, there are some stuff. And you can find a study on this virus to say anything you want. I mean, that's what's crazy about it. There's a study that says, well, it did spread to the South when everybody came from New York and other places and, and all that once the economy's opened. Now, is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But, you know, I, I don't think South Carolinians are dumb. And, the, you know, everybody's just a bunch of idiots and, no, oh, this virus is fake. No, I don't think that's the case at all. I think, you know, a lot of people try to approach it with common sense and balance. Uh, and, and I think that's a good thing, but, but none of that's political. The, the virus should never have been politicized. And I'm everybody from Donald Trump to Nancy Pelosi, you know, to, to the, the woke Corona bros on Twitter to the freedom fighters on Twitter, uh, left, right, middle, whoever you are, the, the, this, this should have never been politicized. The problem is, you know, I think the country in general Trump or no Trump was caught completely off guard. And I think that's scary because what if it were Ebola or something with a high kill rate? You know, I mean, that, that would, that, that, you know, this should serve as a warning that the medical and health infrastructure in our country, you know, for emergencies, you know, needs to be, you know, revamped. Um, you know, and, and I think, uh, President Bush, W. Bush, actually had a task force and, you know, he, he read a book. <laughs> and, and look, that's fine. He read a book. He said, man, we got to get, we got to, we got to be prepared for this. And um, and then over the years, just like a lot of things in Washington, it kind of just, and, and this is political, uh, you know, just sort of uh, faded away. So, so the politics of this or this, the American government period, no matter who is in power, you know, needs to take a long look at this and be overly doubly prepared. We're prepared if Russia wants to fly its bombers over our country and, and, and melt us down with nuclear weapons. We're prepared, I hope, for massive cyber attacks. And we're prepared for terrorist attacks. You know, the, the virus kind of just, I think, showed a lot of holes in the system um, and not necessarily you know, everybody can always debate how Trump handled it or whatever. And I'm not getting into that right now, but I think just systematically everybody, the, 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 the apparatus got caught off guard. And to me, that's unfortunate. And that's something that whoever the president is needs, needs to fix. You know, Congress, they do nothing most of the time. They need to fix this maybe rather than focusing on, you know, the things they've been focusing on, whatever that may be. Um, and, and so that should be what scares you about all this. You know, to me, you know, the woke college football media shaming the South because that's what they do, because they're inherently biased people. Uh, and to me, that's a moral issue, not a political issue. Sucks.
but you can see it coming. You know, they don't talk about death rate. They don't, they don't give oxygen to anything. And uh, there was a column today that said, oh, you, they, they, people engage in selective stats and what about isms. They never took this seriously. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> cases weren't really that bad in the South, you know, to begin with. Okay. So anyway, um, and, uh, you know, so you're going to hear that. They already have the columns written. Two of them have already said, you know, college football's in serious trouble. And, you know, one of them's like, it's dangerous. And then they always circle back to guys not get their unpaid athletes. Well, they are. That's the truth. But there is something of that, but, but, but that's not really, they're not volunteers. How about that? There still is a transactional relationship between players and universities. Now, do I think any player for any reason and his parents, if they want to make a decision as a family for them not to participate, do I think those guys need to be booted off scholarship? No, 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 no. You need to make, you need to prepare for guys opting out just like the pros, you know, but, but I do think you need to make every effort to get, get to the season. And, and, and the fact that everybody's like, it's just about money. These schools just want to make money. I don't think people understand the importance of college football. And, and for a large number of people, it is about money. You know, it's about their businesses that are directly tied to it. Uh, you know, myself included. Um, I'm not, I don't think that you're going to see the end of this podcast or the big If they move the college football season to spring or if they cancel it for the year, you know, I, I you know, my business model, I think, I'll survive. You know, I'm thinking more of the guy that in the smaller college towns that, that, that you know, does, you know, a half million dollars worth of uh, catering for tailgates every year. And that's the money that his restaurant survives on and he pays his folks with. Uh, and I'm thinking of the people that sell T-shirts, the people that work at the stadium, you know, that there's a lot of economic impact. But I also think what gets lost is the cultural impact. You know, we, we need college football. We need it, you know, and, and all these lockdowns, you know, some of which were necessary, some of which were not, you know, I'm looking at you state of Michigan. That was an example of a ridiculous lockdown by an out of control governor. Uh, but just to just show you, I'm not being partisan politically. I kind of think the state of Illinois handled it the right way. Although there are people in Illinois that were, upset with the governor and all that, you know, Chicago and the rest of the state, you know, opened gradually and that cases are still low and there, there's still some protocols in place. And it's not like the, the Michigan governor who, you know, is sending task forces out, you know, to, to shut down barber shops and stuff like that. Um, you know, so, so, so part of the shutdowns were, were, were bad. Um, and, you know, so, 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 you you have a mental health issue that happens when when people get locked in their house or they lose their job uh, or they, they they get sick because they're scared to go to the doctor because of coronavirus and that's depressing. I mean, I've got I've got some friends that have had some issues like that, and I'm not saying college football is this healing angel from heaven. I'm just saying that the country need some sense of normalcy. And if, and if playing sports in a safe way, and again, I think that one death because of COVID-19 
and a guy playing football and he wouldn't have gotten it otherwise is too many. You know, it's not worth that. But we haven't even had a player get hospitalized. And what's crazy about that is then with the woke college football media, you say that, well, well, what about these new studies where you can get brain damage? And look, these I've seen studies about everything for this thing. It causes brain damage. It causes your toes to turn purple. It causes you to go blind. If you smoke, you're less risk of getting COVID-19 unless you're 18 to 22. And then you have more of a chance of getting COVID-19. There's literally a study about everything. Hydroxychloroquine works. It doesn't. It kills people. It hurts your heart. Oh, it saves half of these people, you know? And you keep going through it and you keep kind of looking at all this and, and how like some of the smartest people in the world can't figure it out. And you start to think, you know, did this really come from a bat? That's probably a conspiracy theory. I don't know. I have my questions about it, but this is not the J.C. Sherbert political podcast. And that is political. Actually, that's more of a conspiracy theory, but I don't know. So, you know, you, you got these guys sitting there and they don't, they, 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 journalists, and I'm this way, I love to be right, no matter the subject matter. I, and it's not so much that I love to be right is I hate to be wrong. I hate it. You never want to be wrong. And when you give opinions like I do and things like that, you're going to be wrong sometime. It's like Jim Jeffries, the comedian, says, I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. <laughs> so you got to take it in stride. But, but people with huge, massive egos in the media, and uh, they hate being wrong. So do I. So does John Little. So does Tony. Everybody hates being wrong. It sucks. That's not our job. Our job is not to be wrong. Our job is to be right. And so, you know, first it was, you know, no sports at all. Sports are done for a while. Well, now it looks like the pros are all going to play. Every single pro league. And that's good because the country needs it. And so now, you know, and Clay Travis pointed this out. Uh, and I think, you know, Clay, if you guys listen to OutKick, you know, they've got their thing going on. I'm not endorsing him. I do listen to him from time to time. Um, you know, my audience is, is you know, in terms of the, the different political takes and stuff like that, it's probably split down the middle. So I, I, I try to stay down the middle as well with certain things. And um, unless it's something that, you know, I strongly believe in. But, uh, you know, he mentioned that the other day. It's a, it's a fear of being wrong. or And, and, and that's. That's why there's this drive toward it. And, and I think, I, again, I'll take it a step further. It's, it's also that, but it's also the these players don't get paid crowd. Um, and, again, to me, that's – this is not political. This is bias. I think that's bias against the 97% of the players that play college football where this actual scholarship and the money they get during school and everything works as intended – they get an education. Um, some pe- some kids actually need to go to college football and play college football so they can get better and go play in the NFL. Um, and, and even if they don't go to the NFL, they get doors open for them, whether that's in sales, you know, whether that's uh, admission to a graduate program somewhere, whether that's to, to help them prepare for a career in the military after school, because I've seen some guys do that, um, coaching, I mean, you're talking college coaches. I've said this before, between three and 500 grand a year 
at the power five level, those are good paying jobs. You know, you're not going to go out and, I mean, heck, I, I don't know how much lawyers make initially their first year after getting out of law school, but I don't know that it's between three and five. And coaches don't either. But the sport and participation in college football, you know, and the doors it opens for 97% of the players, it's, in, it's invaluable. Now, there are some guys that could go get their money right now uh, that could leave college behind. And Trevor Lawrence, after his freshman year, could have probably been drafted in the top five. Jadevian Clowney was a guy like that. You know, you, you could make um, a case for the Bosa boys. Uh, I'm trying to think of things outside the Clemson, South Carolina bubble. But, you know, I, I look, there are guys like that. That's very – those are very few people. Marcus Lattimore could have. Marcus Lattimore – could have declared for the draft after his freshman year at Carolina and been drafted probably in the first round. He was physically ready to roll. I mean, there was nothing. You know, he was the next Herschel Walker. That, that's who that guy was. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there are guys like that. There's no question. Um, but it's not everybody. And you shouldn't poop all over the entire sport you know, and, and and get, you know, tie the, the, the coronavirus pandemic back to, oh, they're not getting paid, uh, in my opinion. Um, and and I think there's another thing to think about that, it, that nobody's making them play. You know, if the NCAA or the colleges were like, you either play or you're losing your scholarship, well, that's a different story. Then I'm on the side of uh, – no, you people are a bunch of jerks, and you need to, you know, you're that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You, you need to let them be out. So, anyway, I put in a crystal ball today, getting off the season and on to other things for uh, Florida athlete Dante Ball Four, Ball Four, Ball Four uh, from Stark, Florida. I uh, really like this kid, tall, long. He's like yet another guy that's just an athlete, you know, and and, and I was talking to some people over the weekend. Uh, connected with the program, and that's kind of the emphasis is, is they need more speed and athleticism. Um, he's a fast player. He's got athleticism. Don't know if he's uh, – I think he's more of a DB, but who knows what side of the ball. It seems like they're getting these guys, and they're going to kind of determine that uh, when they get there. But he, he's from Stark, Florida, and that's a good spot for players. And uh, I joined Clint Brewster and Hale McGranahan doing the crystal ball for him. Uh, he could announce, you know, here. He, he may be a guy they end up getting uh, during the summer, uh, and I think that's awesome. Uh, of course, the George Wilson commit is still fresh in everybody's mind. Uh, you know, I don't know how his ranking dropped from 24-7 Sports Composite. I know that Rivals has him as a mid-three, which is ridiculous. Um, but Rivals also, if you remember Ja'Kai Moore, they never got his ranking right either, so I don't know what they're doing in Virginia. But, um, you know, that guy, again, flashy edge rusher, uh, going to have to gain some weight. But you kind of look at it, and I'm looking at Carolina's first, you know, their top top five commits that aren't quarterbacks. Um, let's go six, seven. I'll go eight. I'll go eight, nine. Wait a minute. Let's go, let's go nine, Okay. So, Trenalius Tatum, four-star linebacker, Jonesboro, Georgia, fast. George Wilson, quick off the edge, fast. Bryce Steele, fast linebacker that will strike you. Jaden Johnson, high upside safety, fast, big frame. 
TJ Sanders, defensive tackle, outstanding athlete, can play basketball, very raw, high upside. Simeon Price, thick, high upside guy, could be a receiver, could be a big safety. Omega Blake from South Point, you guys know him, 190 pounds already, big-time player, one of the best in the state. Sam Reynolds, wide receiver from Alabama, you know, really just a speed track guy. You got to kind of coach him up, teach him receiver, but he's fast. Caleb McDowell, you know, can draw, draws comparisons to former Florida running back Chris Randy. That's the nine. Then you go right behind there, and there's there's Nicholas Barrett, who, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they think, you know, they thought it was very interesting, but nobody's seen him in person. So they don't know if he's 5'11". Now he's listed 6'4". Um, so, so, see, this is how camps, not having camps, you know, has made the evaluation process in terms of the media, you know, sort of cattywampus. It's kind of been on hold because, you know, you, you can't go to – you can't even go to schools and see guys. You know, they're not going to let you in with the coronavirus circulating. The coaches aren't going to let you see their players. I mean, it's – it's it's it kind of in-person-wise, you know, shuts it down. Um, so, you know – I think South Carolina's plan with this, and everybody needs to have kind of a plan, especially when you're in a pandemic, when you went four and eight, when you're on the hot seat, that kind of thing, when there's not a lot of players in state. And I like it. You know, time will tell what happens. And not all of these guys are going to work out, you know. And it may end up being some of the guys we don't think is going to work out, do work out. And some of the guys we do think is going to be because it's, it's it, that's the nature of the the vast amount of three stars. You know, I've talked many times about get you fired three stars and legit three stars and value three stars and bonus three stars and all that. I think I think someday somebody's going to figure out you know the, the three star range and you know do something media wise to differentiate to say not all three stars are created equal and they're not. Um, so if I'm going to have to recruit in this range and, you know, I don't have a lot of no-brainer talent right there beating down my door wanting to come in my state, uh, if I'm going to miss, I'm missing with speed <laughs> and, uh, and and athleticism, uh, you know, on the, on the D-line. And, I mean, you know, you look at T.J. Sanders and Nicholas Barrett, man. I mean, those guys, you know, yeah, they'll have to be coached up, but good Lord, they're very athletic guys and big. So – I think I think there's some some individual things to be excited about um, when you're looking at this recruiting class, and you kind of see you know who's who and who can do what. As a whole, is it going to be ranked high? You know, which is what everybody wants to know. No, probably not. But I would encourage you to be fair to each one of the individual players and judge them. You know, kind of based on what they do individually, and and like I've said before. You know, go roll on back to the 2006 class, which was Spurrier's second full class, third class overall, you know, and then the top-ranked guys in the class were Clarence Bailey, Garrett Anderson, and Chris Smelly. But you also got Darian Stewart, mid-three-star, Captain Munerlin, low-three-star, high-two-star. Spencer Lanning enrolled during that class. Lanning Spencer? Yeah, Lanning Spencer. Uh, you got Rodney Paul. You know, Hutch Eckerson was a four-star and eventually started as a senior on the SEC East Championship team. Eric Norwood, all-SEC player, all-American. 
Jasper Brinkley, All-SEC, All-American type. Emmanuel Cook, he was really good. Terrence Campbell was a three-year starter. You know, and all those guys were, were, were not terribly highly ranked. Um, a lot of them wouldn't play in the NFL. So I think that when you have a class like this, this is what you're kind of hoping you can achieve uh, in terms of, you know, getting, you know, quality players. Uh, and I'll go back to uh, – how far do I want to go back here? Because there's a there's an interesting deal when you look back at Clemson. Um, so Clemson, you know – you know, guys like Rashad Jackson that they signed out of uh, Union. Aaron Kelly, two-star guy, going looking back. Cullen Harper obviously overperformed and overachieved during his time there. This is back in the early 2000s. Um, you know, you kind of look through it. Uh, everybody was upset because they got Brian Staley. I don't know how much he really did while he was there. Um, you know, Tremaine Billy was a guy they flipped from Carolina that ended up playing really well. Um, you know, Gaines Adams was a lowly ranked guy. Philip Merling, lowly ranked guy uh, from within the state. Uh, everybody freaked out about Kelvin Grant. Don't think he did much. Um, you know, they got – and so you kind of examine their recruiting back then. Um, and you can kind of, you know, you apply it to today and you kind of hope, oh, hopefully they get it. You know, hopefully Carolina can pull something like that. I'll even bring it closer, you know, closer to home here, <laughs> um, closer to the most recent, you know, kind of deal. Um, you go back to Clemson's 2012 class, which was, you know, right after they got, they won the ACC that year. So here are the top guys. These are these are four of the top five rated guys in Clemson's 2012 class. Carlos Watkins, who ended up being a stud. Jermon Harper, Hopper, who don't know how much he really – I know he played some. Wasn't really a difference maker, I would say. Travis Blanks, I don't think he ever played. I think he transferred. Chad Swag Kelly ended up being really good at Ole Miss. Uh, Zach Brooks, who left the program. They got him out of Arkansas. Martin Aiken transferred. Ronald Gohagen, not sure what he did. Uh, and then DJ Reader, who actually is still in the NFL. So those were all their four- and five-star guys. So out of those guys, how many contributed? You know, when you get down to 2015 and they played for a national championship, you know, how many of those guys in that top 10, the highly rated guys, ended up being, you know, a big part of it? I don't know. I don't know how many. But you go down into the three-star range. Isaiah Battle definitely started some games. Jay Guillermo, three-star guy they got out of Tennessee, one of the best centers in the country. Bradley Pinion, obviously, really good kicker. Kevin Dodd, NFL player. T.J. Burrell, NFL player. And they also signed in place Cordero Tankersley, Shaq Wilson, uh, and Shaq Will. I mean, sorry, Shaq Wilson, Shaq Lawson. They signed in place those guys and got them back from prep school. Back when you could do that. So you know, stars, no stars, whatever. You can sign a class that's made. And this Clemson 2012 class was ranked 20th in the country, which is low for them. Um, 
Uh, and if you take away all the guys that didn't work out, it would have probably been in the 70s. Yet it laid the groundwork for them to go on a run where they win national championships. I know they're in the ACC, but like I said earlier, South Carolina's in the SEC East. There's a little difference. You know, when you look at the Atlantic in the ACC, you got Florida State, who's really good. Well, Georgia's really good. You got to catch Florida State. Well, you got to catch Georgia, you know. Uh, and then you play Clemson every year, you know, so and they played South Carolina every year, you know, and then you look at the rest of the East compared to the Atlantic. Yeah. You got some pretty good teams, you know, I think is how would Florida be better than Louisville when they had Lamar Jackson? I don't know. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, so I, I you know, I, I don't know that you can't get enough talent. I mean, can you get enough talent together to challenge Alabama every year recruiting like the Gamecocks are doing? No. Can you get enough talent to where you can compete in your division and win it? Yes, absolutely. And then once you do that, then those star ratings tend to tick up. It's a process. Now, I feel silly talking about that because South Carolina was 4-8 and eight last year. The bottom fell out. And that's one thing that cannot happen. Um, so they need to rebound this year, no matter how this year works. But anyway, that's recruiting. You know, I, I'll dig into that more. Uh, again, got some guests lined up. We're going to have here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. But want to bring bring it to you each and every day because uh, I love doing it, and I know we all love the Gamecocks and want to talk about it all the time. And again, reach out, uh, listen to some of these other Gamecock podcasts. I think that this is a great medium. It's going to continue to grow and going to be something that uh, can fill a void, I think, in the Gamecock media ecosystem. And I'm talking about podcasts in general, and I wouldn't be arrogant enough to just say mine. Anyway, thanks for listening. This is J.C. Sherbert. This is Inside the Gamecocks Podcast. Have a great day, everyone.